Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and today I'm super excited to introduce you to a prolific author who has helped millions find freedom from crippling anxiety and fear, and that's Dr. Neil Anderson. Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for taking time to share your wisdom and your insights with us. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Glad to be here. So Dr. Anderson was raised on a farm in Minnesota. He served in the Navy, and then he worked as an aerospace engineer before being called into ministry, in which he served in numerous capacities, from a Youth for Christ campus director to senior pastor, and currently as the founder and president of Freedom in Christ Ministries, a thriving international ministry that equips the church to reach the nations for Jesus. He taught at Biola University Talbot School of Theology, where he received the Faculty Excellence of the Year Award, and he continues to teach the world through his 60 plus published books, which include Victory Over the Darkness, Breaking Through to Spiritual Maturity, The Power of Presence, and the two books that motivated me to reach out to him, Bondage Breaker, and with co-author Rich Miller, Freedom from Fear, Overcoming Worry and Anxiety. Dr. Anderson, in Bondage Breaker, you wrote, quote, the battle for the mind involves more than just self-talk, end quote. Can you explain that? Yeah, it's an interesting issue because anybody who's dealing in the mental health field today is aware of cognitive behavioral therapy, that people are doing what they're doing, feeling what they're feeling because of what they've chosen to believe or think. Therefore, if you really want to change how people behave or how they feel, then you should change what they think or what they believe. But in the secular world, even though that's, that's fairly in place, which, by the way, if understood from a Christian perspective, is repentance, change of mind. But the tendency in the world is, is that people are struggling with thoughts, condemning, blasphemous, you know, discouraging, negative kind of self-talk as the secular world has. The greatest avenue of my own growth in my own personal life, as well as helping other people, is to realize that's not all self-talk. We are clearly warned. And in fact, listen to the terminology in 1 Timothy 4.1. The Holy Spirit explicitly says, Paul doesn't use that language anywhere else that I know of. In other words, bong, 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 get this, don't miss this point. In the latter days, people will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceiving spirits. And, and that right now, in my experience, is happening all over the world. I have counseled a lot of folks over the years that are struggling with thoughts, difficulty concentrating, trouble reading their Bible. Almost across the board, this proven to be a spiritual battle. And frankly, that's why most people drink or take drugs. They have no mental peace. The concept of the peace of God that passes all understanding guarded my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus is just totally foreign to them. And so one of the ways that we determine whether we're successful in helping somebody after we lead them through this repentance process is to say, just close your eyes right now and what's your mind like? And they'll just smile at me. It's quiet. <laughs> Many of those people have never experienced that quietness before and uh, that that peace of God that passes all understanding. And so uh 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with the secular world in the sense that cognitive behavioral therapy, not myself, by the way, but is an avenue to overcome kind of these irrational thoughts and fears and behaviors that we have. And so what's going on in your mind? It's all a battle for your mind. I mean, if you had to summarize spiritual warfare, what is it? It's a battle for your mind. And when I started to realize that, then you start looking at Scripture a little bit differently. And how does the devil keep the whole world in the power of the evil one? How does he do that? How does he deceive the whole world? You know, it can be, you can say, well, through television and that kind of, no, no, no. It's really primarily a, a battle for our minds. And so I've come to realize, I said, if you don't learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, you're probably going to go for a ride. Yeah. And, you know, you also, so you likened, I'm thinking about as you're just kind of explaining that. I'm thinking of an analogy that you used. You liken the influence of evil that that we experience to someone walking down a street lined with apartment buildings owned by demons. And I would love, that was just a really clear analogy. I would love if you would share that with our listeners. Well, you know, Jesus is the door. And so when I become a Christian, I just walked out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. But I'm still down here on planet Earth. And that path is narrow. And scripture says that the world of destruction is broad, but the path to God is narrow. There's only one way to come to God, and that's through Christ. And so as I walk through it in terms of function, not something you would see with your eyes, but it's like there's two-story buildings on both sides. And you got pimps and prostitutes saying, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're ugly, this isn't going to work. And and right ahead of you is Christ. You can fix your eyes on Jesus. There's absolutely no obstacles to keep you to walking towards him. But if you start paying attention to that, you're no good. Well, yeah, I am. Well, maybe I'm not. I said, there's three responses to that. One is they made it through that door. You know, they're children of God. They made a, a decision for Christ. But they've never been understood that this battle for their mind. And so they just hear all this condemning things. You know, you remember the parable of the sower? The first one that sowed, the devil comes along and snatches that away. And you just start believing the lies. Well, you just sit down. You could get up and walk, but you don't know it. Nobody's instructed you. Nobody's helped you understand. And uh, then the next kind of response is, no, I'm not going to go in there. You can't make me do that. Uh-uh, that's not true. Whatever else you say. Boy, they're fighting the good fight. Actually, they're not. They're letting the devil set the agenda. What should you do? Put up that shield of faith, fix your eyes on Jesus, and keep on walking according to what God said is true. And what will happen is that path will seemingly get broader and broader and broader, and all of that mental assault will slowly kind of disappear. And one day you just suddenly realize, gosh, <laughs> it's like walking in the middle with God when right beside me. So it it is a struggle, and it is primarily a battle for our mind. I really love what you said about letting the devil set the agenda. That's a really powerful statement. Oh, I think it's all distraction. It's attempt to, to get me off the path just a little bit. And I said, you just keep proclaiming the truth. What's true? You live by faith according to what God said is true. And so if you start going down and interacting with those negative thoughts and whatever else, you're just going to be in a squirrel cave. And it's just rumination over and over again, never seemingly get out of it. And what I've discovered is, is over the years is just helping people who've got all these unresolved issues in their own personal life of just trying to control their mind hasn't been very successful. I mean, especially with issues like lust. I mean, it just constantly consumes you wherever you go when you see something. And I said, you've got to help people establish their freedom. Get to that point where that peace of mind is there, and then they will be able to understand and comprehend Scripture. You're just 
allowing God to take a prominent place in my life because he is my life. You know, one of the scriptures that really kind of spoke to me, I hadn't really thought of before was where we're told that we have everything we need in Christ to live a godly life. And when I read that, I was like, wow, okay, so am I living that out? And it kind of caused me to evaluate some of my my struggles, I guess, in a different with a different perspective. Well, I think, see, my whole ministry is, is based on you got to be firmly rooted in Christ. He's going to supply all of my need. And uh, and once you're firmly rooted in Christ, then the whole concept of acceptance, security, and significance are met there. I, I mean, if, if you're looking to find acceptance in this world, there's always going to be somebody out there's going to reject you. Uh, if you're looking for finding your significance in this world, you will only find it in being the person God created you to be. And the only security we have really is in Christ. If you're looking for security and politics, government, financial security, oh, come on, folks. God's shaking the foundations of the world right now. And so if you're looking for it in any temporal sense today, I don't think you're going to find it. I think you're going to only find that in Christ. And, and speaking of that, that reminds me of another analogy. I love your analogies that you use. They're very, very great at just helping us kind of visualize things from a new perspective. But so you were, you shared a story uh, from your childhood about a dog that frightened you. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah, that was funny. I mean, I lived in a farm in, in Minnesota and we had this neighbors, we go over there and they had this yappy little dog, just scared the socks off of me. And uh, my brother would be there. My dad would be there and we'd get out of the pickup and that dog would come barking around the corner. And I ran up and got him top of the cab of the pickup. And uh, the dog is sitting there looking at me, barking at me. My brother's standing right there. My dad is standing right there. And one day dad said, you know, so this is kind of embarrassing. It's just a little dog, you know, stand your ground. So, you know, I went over there, beads of sweat well up, but I was going to stand my ground. And that dog came yapping around the corner and I kicked a rock at it and left. But several questions. Why didn't he attack my brother or my dad? Why didn't he bark after them? And why me? And how did I get up on top of that pickup cab? He used my mind, my emotions, and my muscles. That's how I got up there. But when I stood my ground, when you resist the devil, he flees from you. So I was just letting him control me. And so is the world. The whole world lies to that power of the evil one. They're letting the evil one control them out of fear, out of deception primarily. And somewhere along the line, you say, that's not going to happen. You can't keep me from being the person God created me to be. And I'm going to stand my ground. So stand firm, resist. You know, you know, you look, you think of the armor of God. And we all want to examine the pieces and whatever else. You put on the armor of God. You're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're really putting on. And um, and I said, what's often over, overlooked is all of the verbs. Having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Put on, take on, believe. Requires an active participation participation on my part. You say, well, God is my protection. Yes, he's all you need to protect you, but you have to accept that. You have to claim that for yourself. You can't just passively sit there and be buffeted around. And uh, I said, one of the greatest liberating factors for a Christian is that is that realization, nobody out there can keep me from being the person God created me to be. Not the devil, not you, not anybody else, not my boss, not my spouse, not my children. And uh, that is the most liberating concept. Then you discover that the fruit of the Spirit is not child control, police control, politics control. It's self-control. And once you have that self-control in your life and realize you can be that person, which is God's will for my life, my sanctification. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. 
Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So in your book, you had talked about sometimes fear can be learned. So what, when would that be the case? Okay, let's look at fear for a moment because uh, it is the number one mental health problem in the world, anxiety disorders, which include fear, anxiety, and, and panic attacks. But fear is the, it, it was the first emotion expressed by fallen humanity. Adam said, I was afraid. What was he afraid of? He's just still in the Garden of Eden. There was no forces there. There was no neurological problems that needed medication. Couldn't blame mom and dad. There was no heritage issues, whatever else. What's he afraid of? And I discovered after a while, what it really was, was the absence of life. It's what I call a primordial fear. And that just invaded planet Earth all over. The people are paralyzed by fear all over the world. And even in, in the early church uh, chapters of Genesis, they were struggling to somehow get back to that kind of relationship with God, and they did it all in an occultic and a false way, which eventually brought the flood. And, and uh, But that's that's the big one. But now think about it for a moment. Fear. Number one commandment of Scripture, fear not. Telling people that doesn't work, by the way. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be afraid. It doesn't work. Um, but fear, in order to be legitimate, has to have an object. And, and that object has to be, in somehow in my mind, eminent or Input or, or potent somehow has some power for me. And, and understand something fear is a God given emotion. Anytime my physical or psychological safety is threatened, fear is what I would feel. It's what I should experience. It's for my self preservation. For instance, I don't like rattles. I mean, they're, they're legitimate for me. I, you know, I hear them hissing like, woo, like it there. But right now, I'm experiencing zero fear of rattlesnakes. Why? Well, there's none here. So <laughs> they're potent, but they're not here. And, um, now, what if you threw one of those babies in and it landed right at my desk? Man, I'd be exit out that door in a hurry because it's both, in my mind, potent and eminent. Now, what if you threw it in and it's dead? Provided I was sure it was dead. <laughs> all you have to do is remove one of the attribute. That's all you have to do. Now, let's look at the big three daddies of fear. Uh, fear of people, of uh, Fear of death, um, fear of Satan. Let's look at death, for instance. You know, people are afraid. I'm going to, I could die, you know. And I said, what would happen if you died? You'd be absent from the body, present of the Lord. Where, O death, is your stink? He's removed one of the attributes. It's still eminent. It's appointed unto every man that one day you shall die, but it's no longer potent. There's no power over me. Now, if you're free to live today, you're free of the fear of death. You're really free to live today. Do I fear death? No, because I would just be absent from the body present of the Lord. For me to live as Christ, to die is actually gain, Paul said. So take away that fear. How about fear of man? And, and Jesus was specific. Don't fear a man who may have power over your physical life. Fear God who has power over that as well as your soul. And um, and then Satan. People are all over this world are more afraid of Satan than they are of God. You don't think that's true? Ask people in your church. In the moment you elevate Satan as a greater object of fear, you elevate him as a greater object of worship. And that's why he wants to be feared, because he wants to be worshipped, which is the temptation for Christ. You know, bow down before me. And uh, now, which attribute has it removed? 
Well, he's running around like a hungry lion seeking for someone to devour. So he's still eminent. He's been disarmed. He's no longer potent. It's like, you know, two kids riding the back car and all of a sudden a bee flies through the window and the kids go, oh, there's a bee in here. And the dad reaches back and, and grabs a bee in his hand. The stinger goes in his hand. And then he releases the bee. No, the kids, are, you know, kid, look at my hand. Jesus said, look at my side. The stinger is in me. He's harmless. Now, if I could just convince the world that that is true, that he has been disarmed, I mean, you would eradicate in a normal amount of fear. Now, why is the fear of God the beginning of wisdom? What two attributes does he have? He's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. I love this verse in, in Proverbs. It says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. So God is here right now. What do I fear? What do I fear? And so let's go back to the learned aspect of that because it's critical. Uh, let's say you got a mother who's got a two-year-old child out in the closed-in fence in the backyard and a little harmless garter snake swims, you know, slithers across. Chances are that two-year-old will go over and pick it up. What would his mother do? Freak out, probably. <laughs> What's interesting is that Almost all fears are learned. You don't come into this world, you know, with an understanding that heat can burn your hand or falling off a chair can hurt you. So little experiences as you grow up, you fall off the chair and you kind of start developing, a, you know, a safety fear of heights, you know, and, and don't touch that stove again, you'll get burned uh, kind of a thing. Now, the problem is all these fears are not necessarily true. And uh, so we learn to fear things that we should not fear. Uh, they're called phobias. Now think of the word itself. What does phobia mean? It's an irrational fear. So if you were going to solve that, what would you have to do? Stop the fear? No, that's more like the symptom. There's a lie behind it. Now, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance will create all kinds of fears. And you can create fear anywhere you go by just telling people lies. Oh, God doesn't love you. You know, oh, then God's not here. Doesn't care about me kind of a situation. It, um, it, now, you take a zoologist and put him in that backyard who understands reptiles and, you know, squiggly little things like that. Would they be afraid of that snake? Of course not. They would walk over. So sometimes, you know, ignorance can almost paralyze you in fear, whereas truth will really liberate you. Truth will really make it known. And so in our steps to freedom, we have a phobia finder that helps you realize what is the root of that fear? What am I actually afraid of? And we have to bring God into that process because he's going to lead us into all truth. And so, you know, we try to help them realize what is that one? What 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 one of those attributes can I remove? And, uh, and all you have to do is remove one. And suddenly the fear has no power over you anymore. So it's an interesting process in itself. So if, if I've learned it, if you if you bought the truth, the only way to overcome the lies of this world and deception is truth. That's why Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer. I ask not that you take them out of this, this world, but you came from the evil one. How? Oh, sanctify them in thy word. That word is truth. So truth is a liberating agent. Truth is never an enemy. If you learn to walk in the light, speak the truth in love. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, you may be afraid of the truth because it may expose you because men love darkness more than light. But truth is the only, is a liberating agent in my life. And it's not just truth that I read in the Bible. Jesus is the truth. My presence with God, his presence with me, his spirit bearing witness with my spirit. I'm a child of God. There is my point of security. There is the way that you overcome that fear is to is to, you know, allow God to reign supreme in your life. All other fear objects will just slowly disappear.
so what would you say to the listeners who don't know Jesus, who aren't following Jesus and are battling fear and anxiety? Well, first of all, I honestly believe one of the great faults of the evangelical church is we have not given them a full gospel. We present that Jesus as the Messiah came to die for our sins, and if we receive him into our life and we die, we'll get to heaven. And that may sound good, but it's so incomplete. What Adam and Eve lost in the fall was life. What Jesus came to give us was life. And so all we see is the cross and forgiveness of sins, but I'm still the same old person I was before. That is absolutely not true. What what the early church celebrated was thank God for Good Friday because that sin had to be dealt with that separated me from God. But what he came to do was to give me life. That means my soul is union with him. And that defines who we are. Beloved, now, not later, now you are a child of God. He has received into them. He gave the right to become children of God. Not only that, but he who has a son has that life. That's what Adam lost. That's what Jesus come to do, to give us. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He will live spiritually even if he dies physically. Now, that's only two-thirds of the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, was resurrected that I would have new life. I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. I'm not a product of my past. I'm a product of Christ who died with me. Problem is, I learned to live my life independent of God. Now I got to learn my life to live dependent upon God. And so everything I learned before wasn't cleared. So we got to be transferred by the renewing of our mind. Now, the other third of the gospel is what most of the world is waiting for, because the number one religious orientation of the world is spiritism. And they're leaving little sacrifices around to appease the deities and going to the wish doctors and the shamans, somehow manipulate the spiritual world, either to, you know, put curses on people or pray for protection for my health or whatever else, and you have the privilege to go to those countries and say, they are all disarmed, all those little deities that you are trying to serve right now, and in Christ you have authority over them. And that's just as much a part of the gospel as the fact that your sins are forgiven. Jesus came to undo the works of Satan. 1 John 3, 8, that's what he said. And so if the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, Why? Because he's the God of this world, and he's deceived the whole world. And the only anecdote for that is to get out of that kingdom of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And so let's start with the whole gospel. What he's offering us, I came that you might have life. That's not your physical life. This is Zoe. This is your spiritual life. My soul right now is the union of God. My body is the temple of God. Christ is in me. That's my hope of glory. (laughs) That's my freedom. That's my liberator. That's my truth. And so, you know, these people that are just, you know, going to church and walk down the trail and say, you know, God, please forgive me. Yes, he did. You already died for your sins and good. And, And they walk out. They may feel like the same old person they were before. Do they have the life? I mean, the bottom line question is, Test yourself to see whether the Spirit of God is within you, lest you fail the test. So that's that's the one black and white issue Scripture clearly says. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You either have Christ in you or you don't. Uh, nothing else matters beside that. Uh, so if that isn't settled in your life and the Holy Spirit isn't bearing witness with your spirit, your child of God, then you better turn to Him. Wow, yeah. What are some truths in particular you think can really help people if they're struggling with fear and anxiety? Well, um, you're familiar with our ministry. And so, you know, what we do is, is really much more in conformity with what the early church did. You come to Christ in those days, they would literally face the West and say, I renounce you, Satan, and all your works and all your ways. 
Then they would face the east and make a profession of faith in Christ. All the temples that they made and everything else all faced the east, the rising sun, if you would have it. We have forgotten the repentance process. It's just absent all over the world. It's it's a mystery to me. And, and, and we, we've substituted, well, I confess that. Well, folks, confession is absolutely critical. That just simply means I agree with God. And so if you did something wrong and you say, I just did something wrong, you just confessed it. Uh, there's not a verse in the in the epistles under the new covenant where a Christian is asked to forgive God, asking God to forgive them for something. Why? Because you're already forgiven. You already died once and for all. Well, what about my future sins? When he died once for all, all of your sins were future. Now, that's not a license to sin. That's a gracious means not to sin. So... As you look at the totality of this and to realize, you know, that whole gospel, what that really means, that in Christ I have authority over the God of this world. When when Jesus was preparing the uh, 12 and later the 70, what's the first thing he said to them? Behold, I've given you authority and power over demons. Why was that so essential? Because truth of the matter is Satan is the God of this world. It's ruled by the kingdom of God or Satan. And uh, the only hope I got out of there is to have some sense of authority and power over that. If I don't, then I'm powerless. And so that is the critical part of the gospel. So repentance to me is more than just a change of mind, which is critical part of it. But if you think confession itself is enough to do that, I'll tell you right now, you're in the sin, confess, 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 agree with God, repent change. John the Baptist said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Go back and bring forth fruit to keep into your repentance. Paul says the same thing. Read it in that. That's what he preached everywhere he went in the book of Acts. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus said in Mark 1. Repent and believe the gospel. So if you don't repent, you know, if you say that salvation is addition, I just received Christ, added something onto my life. That is not true. It's transformation. You're a new creation in Christ. But they say, I added something new, so I'm going to believe this, but I'm going to still believe what I've always believed. (laughs) You're living in two worlds. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's why you look at anxiety in Scripture. Anxiety is used 25 times. Five of it's kind of positive. You know, even mental health people realize that you're mentally healthy if you're relatively free of anxiety. There should be some Anxiety in your life. You got an important exam tomorrow, you probably will feel anxious. Proper response, study. Your teenager's two hours late, you should feel anxious. Proper response, pray. <laughs> but when you we realize what it literally means when you break the word down, merimaneo is rezo divide, it's nuance mind. You're double-minded, and a double-minded person is unstable in all your ways. So what's the anecdote for that? Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Don't be double-minded about anything. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, the past understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And there's the peace of God again. But you've got to get out of your double-mindedness. And the only way to get out of that is to go to God. By the way, that's not enough in itself because I have a responsibility. I mean, God will be there for me. But the next verse is, finally, brethren, whatever is true, right, lovely, pure, think on those things. And Jennifer, that's not enough either. The next verse says, do it. The things you heard and leave from me put into practice. In other words, do the right thing. Do the pure thing. Do the lovely thing. If you only think about it, you know, pure Christianity lies in the exercise of the will. You know, the freedom comes in living it out. And that's where faith is exhibited. If you say, I believe, and you show no evidence in that in the way you live, you don't believe. So true faith says, if I believe it, I'm living it. I'm living what I believe. You know, that kind of leads me to my next question. In Letting Go of Fear, you write, 
quote, trying to win the battle for our mind before breaking the bondage to sin is almost impossible. I would love as we kind of wrap up, if you could talk about that. Well, let's look at the big daddy sin of all and that's sexual sins. And uh, we're not to use our body as an instrument of righteousness. You can't commit a sexual sin without doing that. And so you commit a sexual sin, you've allowed sin to reign, literally rule in your mortal body. How are you going to get rid of that? Well, again, confession itself won't do it. We've learned in our steps to freedom to actually pray and bring God into that process. And Lord, would you reveal to my mind every sexual use of my body as an instrument of unrighteousness? God does, by the way. It's amazing when you do that. And uh, for each one, I renounce having sex with so-and-so and ask you to break that bond. What's that bond? Well, you united yourself to a harlot. You become one flesh. Now, so we have people say, I renounce having sex with so-and-so and ask you to break that bond spiritually, mentally, emotionally to that person. Now, if you do that, then the order of Scripture comes into play. Romans uh, 12, 1, be transformed. You know, submit your body to God as a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable service of worship. So take care of that body part of it first, then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the order is critical. And so that is just broken bondages to lust and, and sex, you know, around the world. And I've just learned after a while, and until you are, you know, free in Christ, united with him, you have a peace of mind. Until that time, you're just so inundated with, with lust thoughts, tempting thoughts, fearful thoughts that you can't do it. But if you can get that peace of mind, then all of a sudden it's manageable. Out of all your books, you, you've written a lot, actually, that really speak on freedom. But if if you were to tell listeners like this is the one book that I would recommend you read. What one? What a, which one of your books would you recommend? First one I wrote, Victory Over Darkness. I mean, there there is there is absolutely nothing more essential than knowing who you are in Christ. Our identity in Christ is so basic. You're firmly rooted in Christ. You're alive in Christ. You're free in Christ. And, and so, if you don't know who you are, then you're just struggling. You're going to find your identity in something else, and it's not there. You know, even going back, look at the fall, you know, where does a man find his identity? Well, in his work, you know, the first thing you want to know about a man, what does he do for a living? And, and a woman may find her, you know, identity in childbirth. And, and uh, you say, well, that's right out of the gospel. A man shall work by the sweat of his brow, and a woman shall bear a child in pain. That's the curse. That's the fallen identity. If your identity is in your job, what if you lose your job? If your identity is in having a child, what if your barren, womb is barren? You, you're, you're nobody you're nothing? Not true. I said, but if you if your identity is in Christ, beloved, now you are a child of God. If you realize that and are connected with God in another way, you'll know who you are. He who, See how love the fathers bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God? Such we are. We don't know what we shall be finally, but we know this. When we see him, we shall see him face to face. and We should be like him. He who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. So if you don't know who you are, you're wandering. And you will wander until you know who you are. That's good. And I would just probably tell our listeners as well, in Bondage Breaker, uh, Dr. Anderson breaks down, he, he's referred to the steps of, of freedom. And so in Bondage Breaker, you can actually see he'll walk you through those steps. So I would encourage you, those those two books that I read are really phenomenal as well. Well, thank you for joining us and for just sharing your insight and wisdom. Thank you, Jennifer. God bless you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. I hope today encouraged you and gave you some concrete steps that you can apply, some ways that you can move towards freedom. I encourage you to check out Dr. Anderson's books. We're going to have a link to him in the show notes, so make sure to check those out. And if you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. Make sure to rate it. That encourages us and helps others to find it. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.